If you would, please stand as we read God's word for us this morning, Genesis 15, verses 7 and 21. And as I read, you're going to notice a couple things. This passage is really strange, and we're going to live in the strangeness of it. Um, but what I, what I also want you to notice is the question that comes out of the deepest part of Father Abraham's heart. Listen to his question and the Lord's answer. Genesis 15, verse 7. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, just to catch us up from where we've been in Genesis, it's been a while since we've been there. You'll just remember back in chapter 12, the Lord called this man, we know his father Abraham, at this point in the story he's known as Abram, he called him to leave the only home that he had ever known. And two of the promises that he gave to Abram were that he would receive, if he left his home, a new family and this new land. 
that he was going to live in. The beginning of chapter 15, the last time we were here, was actually in December, verses 1 through 6. But there, Abram asked for assurances for, for that, that first promise of having a family. He, he, he asked for assurances from God that he was actually going to get these children that God had promised. So now, in verses 7 to the end of the chapter, he's asking for assurances for that other piece, for that other promise of the new home that the Lord is going to give him. See that in verse 7, the Lord mentions this land that he promised to give to Abram. And, and then in verse 8, he asks this question, how can I know I'll get home? How can I know I'll get home? That's the title of this sermon based on this one question that Abraham is asking and how the rest of the passage is just an answer to that question. And I do think that this question that he's asking is not a question of unbelief. When he, when he asks the Lord, how can I know I'll get home? It's not that he doesn't believe that he'll get home. I mean, this is right after verse 6, which is where Moses tells us. That Abraham is believing here. It's not a question of unbelief. It's a question of interest. How can I know I'll get home? It is getting at that familiar feeling of homesickness that maybe you've experienced when you're not yet home. You want all the assurance you can possibly get that you're going to get there and get there soon. I mean, we, we know that from Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, don't we? There's no place like home. And, and yet, Abram's homesickness is intensified from what Dorothy was feeling or even what you and I may feel in this life. The, the, the land that the Lord is promising to Abram is not just where his family's going to be. It's also where the Lord is going to be. And where all the blessings that the Lord has promised him is going to be. If you can relate to that at all, this longing and this question that Abram is asking. If the forever home that you're longing for is heaven with God, that place that we read about earlier where we will be away from all sadness, if that's what your great longing is, then Genesis 15 has really good news for you. And it has really good news for you whether you are the kind of person who knows that you're going there and you never doubt it. Or if you're the kind of person who sometimes really doubts that you're ever going to get home. Listen closely. The Lord gives this answer starting in, in verse 9. And... 
Uh, it's really surprising. He says, go get me a heifer. This is the answer to the question. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abraham's pouring out his heart. How can I know? I'm going to get home. And this is what the Lord says. Uh, what in the world does that have to do with the question he's asking? And yet we don't see Abram confused at all, right? I mean, he, he immediately springs into action. He hears the shopping list. And not only does he get it all, he starts to use everything that the Lord has, has told him to get. He starts cutting in half all of the animals except for the birds. You see, the Lord's answer may not make much sense to you, but it made perfect sense to Abram. Let, let me explain it like this. Imagine a man goes up to a woman and he asks her a question. How can I know you'll never leave me? If she then says, get me a church, get me a preacher, get me a ring, and get the flower girl. What is she saying? What is she saying? I'll marry you. That's how you'll know. Well, in Abram's day, the list in verse 9 that God lays out, that was kind of like a similar list that the one I just laid out for you. It's the ingredients of covenant. That word covenant shows up in our passage. It's one of the most important words in the Bible. We'll talk more about what this covenant is, but know for now, this is a ceremony that binds two parties with promises that they're making to one another. And, and so, so the Lord's answer to Abram in verse 9, it really relieves him in the same way that the woman's answer to the proposal would. But how this covenant ceremony ends up playing out is really unexpected. I want to walk through that. This covenant broken up into two parts. First we'll have the vows and then we'll have the ceremony itself. So, point number one. The Lord's answer to Abram's question, how can I know I'll get home? Point number one, which really covers verses 12 through 16, we get the answer, the Lord will get you home after your hardship. He'll get you home after your hardship. Uh, already, I mean, it's something we didn't expect. I mean, if in fact... Abram understood whenever he was told all of those animals to get, and he starts cutting them in half, and he's expecting this covenant. What we're not expecting at this point is that this covenant that's supposed to bring him such confidence is one that's going to include hardship. What we expect is more like what we expect in the wedding. 
uh, when, when the wedding is starting, the groom's people, you know, they, they get seated on the right of the sanctuary, and then the, the bride's people, they get seated on the left of the sanctuary. And then what we're expecting to see is the pastor show up and the groom and the groomsmen taking their place at the front. And then everyone's going to start looking to the back of the church. And we're looking for that cute kid to start off that procession. Uh, for, for Kelly and me on our wedding day, this is the point when the wedding took a turn. Our ring bearer, uh, was nowhere in sight. <clears throat> Everyone's looking back for this little boy in his little tux to walk through with that symbol of our vows, the ring. But this little boy was hiding under a pew and he never came out. <clears throat> we just had to go on without him. Well, the Lord... And Genesis 15 is answering the question, how can I know I'll get home? And, 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 and when, when he's starting to answer that question, what Abram does is he puts, he, after he cuts these animals in half, he puts the hindquarters of each bloody sacrifice on one side. And then he puts the other half of each body on the other side. The birds, I guess, are just too small to be cut in half and then face each other. They just face each other. One's on the left side of the aisle, and the other's on the right side of the aisle. Those separated carcasses in this strange passage, they're making an aisle. And we're expecting, at this point in the ceremony, for Abram and the Lord to walk down the aisle. And they're to make their vows to one another. And then something really unexpected happens. Abram disappears, basically. I mean, he nods off. Uh, it says in verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. This is the Bible's way of describing God actually put him to sleep. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Abram's sleep was dreadful. It was deep. It was dark and it was dreadful. And that is the way that God typically describes what happens whenever he draws near to his people. It's not something that they're always really excited about. They come under the fear of the Lord. But I think the, uh, the sleep that Abraham is experiencing being dreadful is also pointing to what the Lord is making him feel and what he's saying. He's making him feel what he's saying. I'll get you home after your hardship. So he explains it. Verses 13 and 14, he explains it's going to be hard before you get home. Abraham's children, who the Lord has not yet given, but he will give, are then going to have to face, it says, affliction for 400 years. Or the way that verse 16 describes it, four generations. Getting home is going to be hard, not just on Abraham's children, but also on Abraham himself. But it's different for Abraham. Look in verse 15. He's told that he's not going to have to face the affliction 
that his children are going to have to walk through. In fact, Abram is going to die in peace, but that's hard on him in this sense. That his children are going to get more of the promised land than he does. He's going to die before they actually experience the affliction, but also before they get home. Verse 16, the Lord explains why it is he's going to delay this long before getting Abram's children home. He says the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. There's the sin of all the people, I think, who are living in the land of Canaan, which is the promised land, the the home. Their sin is adding up, but it's not yet complete. He's going to give them 400 more years for it to complete. He's holy. And he's just. And before he punishes these people, he's going to let their guilt increase. That's what he says. But not for Abram. Abram just gets this promise, this ceremony. An answer to the question, how can I know I'll get home? I don't think if you ask the Lord that question that you should expect this kind of encounter. It's just Abram and the Lord there. His children aren't there. They don't get it. This kind of one-on-one experience. They they don't get, none of the people of God get to hear the Lord voice these vows in the way that Abram does, even though he's asleep. Somehow this gets through to him. And yet, none of us needs to experience this directly because Abram really did for us. And that's, that's exactly, I'm confident, what the original people who heard Genesis 15 would have been thinking. They would have been so encouraged by this strange encounter. Uh, they would have been so encouraged, even from the very beginning of the passage in verse 7, when they hear the Lord come to Abram and say these very words, I am the Lord who brought you out. Well, they would know those are the words we just heard. The original audience are that wilderness generation who are about to go into the promised land. Those people who would have heard the Lord at Sinai say, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It would have linked up for them and it would have had a great effect on them because they would have been the ones who just got out of this 400 years of slavery in Egypt. That's what he's referring to, that land that they did not know. They were afflicted there, which the book of Exodus describes. They experienced hardship there. They also were there whenever the Lord had punished the Egyptians through the plagues. Uh, They would say each one of these promises came to true and we know it because we plundered the Egyptians. We left with great possessions before we got out. When they heard our passage, the way they responded, beloved, is the way you should respond. And it would be, they knew that the Lord is in control of absolutely everything, even generations of affliction. 
He knows everything and he keeps all his promises. And if that's what it took to get us home and we've just survived it, what that means for us is we're about to go home. They were about to enter into the promised land. What happens to Abram's children when the Lord gets them out of affliction and into home, that, that's like a pattern that's not just true in Genesis. And it's not just true in Exodus. And it's not just true in Joshua. I mean, even if you were to turn to Acts chapter 14 in the New Testament for Christians, listen to what it says. Through many tribulations, we must get home. It is only through many troubles and afflictions that we will ever enter into the kingdom of God. And Acts 14 says that that truth, that idea strengthens the souls of disciples. Isn't that surprising? That, that idea that we're not going to get home until after the hardship, just knowing that now, it says in Acts 14 that that encouraged them to keep continuing in the faith. That's what the Lord is telling us as well. I'll get you home after your hardship. What we assume is that the afflictions, whenever they come to us, that they're going to be hard on our assurance. They're, they're, they're not actually going to help us to be confident that we're going to make it to heaven. But beloved, take it from Genesis 15 in the first book of the Bible. Take it from the very first people that he was going to save. That whenever we're waiting for what the Lord has promised us, that was never, ever meant to make us think that we're not going to get every single promise that the Lord has made. Listen, just because we have to endure trouble. Many troubles, varied troubles, the ways in which each of our lives even differently is hard. Even if we have to endure many of our most desperate prayers going unanswered. Even if we have a long life of hardship, of pain in all its forms, of loved ones who leave us, or worse, of loved ones who leave the Lord, it would be a shame to let bitterness grow over those things and that bitterness to chip away at your belief in the Lord. We're told right here at the beginning of his answer to the question to give assurance that afflictions were never reasons to lose assurance. From the very beginning of saving a people, the Lord tells us, I will get you home 
after your hardship. So what that means is whenever affliction comes, you should view them this way. These are assurances. These are affirmations. Whenever the Lord gives his people hardship, the first thing they should think of is he's getting us home. This is just proof again. He's going to get us all the way home. We read Revelation chapter 7 earlier in the service. I wonder if you picked up on the overlapping themes of that passage in this one. Certainly on my mind, how this, this question that's asked in our passage just keeps on getting asked. How can I know I'll get home? It's something that it's not just true that God's people keep on asking. It's a question that God keeps on answering throughout the Bible. <clears throat> so that we have it at the end in Revelation 7. We have it here in the beginning in Revel or Genesis 15. It's as if the Lord really, really wants us to believe his answer. I will get you home after your hardship. But then secondly, he says, he'll get you home without your help. That's verses 17 through 21. And this is the best part of the answer. He'll get you home without your help. When our ring bearer uh, decided to dip uh, up out of our ceremony, uh, Kelly and I realize, well, it looks like we're going to have to get married without your help. Uh, what, what's shocking in this ceremony that's laid out in detail in verses 17 through 21, what's profoundly helpful to anyone here who wants assurance that you can get home to heaven. Is that it's not, it's not just a character with a minor role who dips out of this ceremony. It's Abram. He's unconscious. When we heard the vows... In verses 12 through 16, we didn't hear a word from Abram. He's snoring. So in, in this ceremony, uh, we're expecting the two parties to make their vows to one another. It's only one who makes the vows. Abram, what I'm saying, he doesn't, we never hear him say, okay, Lord, I appreciate what you're promising to me, but let me tell you in exchange for the efforts that you're going to make to get me home, this is what I'm going to do for you. In this passage, this covenant-making passage, where God chooses one people out of all the world to save for himself, we're told how salvation works. 
The only one who makes the promise during that vow portion of the covenant is the Lord. He's the one who makes the vows. And then as we come to the ceremonial part that is meant to back the vows, Abram's still asleep. And that should be really encouraging to you. If you want assurance, keep coming back here. He was asleep. In a wedding, it's the ring. It's the rings that symbolize what we've just promised to one another. Where, where we say, you know, just as that circle, the ring, goes on forever and ever and ever, so my vows I'm going to keep till death do us part. Now, why is it that in Genesis 15's covenant ceremony, that sweet little heifer had to die and all her homies had to die? The reason that Abram killed those animals as soon as he got them was, was because he knew this is the Lord's answer. The Lord is going to cut a covenant with me. He's going to cut a covenant. Binding promises in the Bible are cut. They're made while cutting sacrificial animals in two. The animals are representing the parties, the human parties, or here the human and the Lord, in the covenant. And, and once the parties make their vows, what they do is they walk down the aisle. And as they walk down the aisle, in this covenant, they would be seeing blood. And they would be smelling death. And they would understand the symbol. What they are saying to one another is, if I break my vows that I've made to you, then cut me in two. The way that we just cut these animals in two. They represent us. Kill me if I don't keep my promises that I'm making to you. But notice in Revelation 15 how this all plays out. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces or walked down the aisle. And on that day, and in this way, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And he said, to your offspring, I will give this home. When the invisible Lord appears to his people, in the Old Testament, he comes in fire. You remember this? He, he shows up in fire in the burning brush. You remember this? He, 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 he was the one who was leading them through the wilderness at night, through the flaming torch. And so, he's the only one we see walk down the aisle when we see the smoking fire and the flaming torch passing between the pieces. The only one who is guaranteeing that we're going to make it home 
is the Lord. Abram is asking, how can I know? And right after he asks, the Lord gives him a strong sedative. To illustrate this point, it's while you're sleeping that I'm swearing. I'll get you home without any of your help. Or to put it another way, and I've waited this long to tell you what the main point of the passage is. The Lord doesn't need you to get you home. Here's the gospel truth. The Lord doesn't need you to get you home. He's saying this to Abram. You may die before you get the fullness of all I've promised you, but I'm going to get you home. And I'm going to get all your children home. And I'm going to do it all by myself. And he guarantees this. The Lord guarantees this in the strongest terms possible. He pronounces a self-curse. By walking between those carcasses. In the flaming pot. He's saying, I will die before I let you not get home. And beloved, the Lord can't die. Does <laughs> he you know what that means? Every one of his people can't miss heaven. This is the encouragement. We get all the way back in Genesis 15. And the Lord kept his vow as, as he as we just turn the pages of the Old Testament uh, we would get to the book of Exodus and and whenever God's people thought that their time of affliction was finally over the plagues had come Pharaoh had released them from slavery they had plundered the Egyptians they were on their way home and then all of a sudden the king of Egypt corners them in the Red Sea and do you remember what the Lord said then he said, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation. He didn't say, help me save. I will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord is going to fight for you. You, I'm just asking you to be silent and watch. Or I'll get you home without your help. Or think about later in the Old Testament when the Lord's people were being afflicted while they were in the land. And the Assyrian army is coming and they're threatening to take over. We're told in 2 Kings chapter 19, the Lord says concerning Assyria, they will not come into my city. They will not shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount against it. And that night the angel of the Lord went out while they were asleep and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people woke up and rose in the early in the morning, behold, all their enemies were dead bodies in front of them. 
What I'm saying is, this message that we hear in Genesis 15, I'll get you home without any of your help, is the message of the rest of the Bible. You say, look, Ryan, that, that may be fine if we're talking about protection from earthly enemies. The problem is, The Bible also says that every sinner is an enemy of God. So what happens when I do die? What happens when I face God in my sins? When I know I deserve hell and not heaven, how can I know that I'll get home. Well, in the New Testament, we hear the Lord Jesus as if he's saying, look, you've done all the sinning. Why don't you leave all the saving to me? I'll do all my saving without any of your help. Don't you remember how it happened? (laughs) As Jesus is making his way to the cross, the beloved disciple John is sleeping. The rest of the disciples are running. Peter, the bold, is lying. Mother Mary is crying. And Jesus Christ is dying all by himself. You see, the Lord can't die. But the God-man can. The Son of God took on flesh for this purpose. That he might let the covenant curses of death actually fall on him. And fall on him alone. In place of his people. On the cross. Jesus died for all of the things. All of the things that would keep us out of God's home. And in the resurrection, Jesus Christ came out of his grave to save everyone who believes the Lord doesn't need me to get me home. I wonder if there's anyone here who's tired of trying to help the Lord. Is there anyone here who is exhausted, trying to get home, trying to get to heaven? Is there anyone here who's realized just what a complete failure you are, like I am, at getting you good enough to get into the place where you have to be absolutely perfect in order to get in? Is there anyone here who has realized you have screwed up way too much? You ain't going to get you home. Well, I've got great news for you if that's what you're feeling. Helpers never get in. But sleepers do. Sleepers do. Those who rest in the Lord Jesus alone We'll all 
get in. Beloved, Jesus Christ gets all God's children home all by himself. So if you are feeling that kind of guilt and inability, I would encourage you to turn from doubting Jesus and trust in him alone and he will get you home. And, and what goes for every single person here, whether today you're trusting in Christ for the first time or you're, you trusted in him for the first time a long time ago. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying the Lord doesn't use us whenever he's getting people home. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching. He's, I'm, try, I'm preaching for that reason. I'm hoping that he will use what I'm saying. We pray that the Lord, would you please save and he may use our prayers, but that's just because he, as the almighty Lord, has ordained and chosen to use preaching and to use praying to get his people home. But it's still him who's the only one who gets people home. He doesn't need you. To get you home. That would be a good sentence to memorize. I think you'll need it. Lord, you don't need me to get me home. That means if you're wanting assurance, a certainty that you're going to get home it will never come from your performance. You'll never find assurance if you're just looking for you to be sinning less or doing more to keep yourself closer to Him. I mean, when, whenever you, you come to the moment this week when your command-keeping is to be honest, pathetic. You need to know he doesn't need you to get you home. He died for your failures to keep his commands. And whenever your marriage or your church membership or whatever your commitments are, whenever they're going awesome, you just need to know he doesn't need you to get yourself home. Because when the Lord is asked the question, how can I know I'll get home? He doesn't say anything about how you just need to keep saying no to sin and you just need to do a really good job of saying yes to righteousness. That's not what he says. He says, you can know you're getting home and I want you to know you're getting home. He wants his children to know they're getting home. And they can know because he doesn't need you to get you home. So you can say that the only thing for you to do, if that's even the right language to use, I don't know. So you just needed to 
Decide for yourself. Will I rest in him? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We need it so desperately. We need it so regularly. Would you fill us with confidence in the Lord Jesus alone? We thank you that you have not put our salvation on us. We would never be saved. We would never come to you and we would never stay with you. We thank you that you trust your son and we trust him too. God, may he be our confidence, we pray in his name. Amen.